Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Video Analytics 101. We're doing this kind of live sessions once per month where we talk to industry leaders and industry experts around topics surrounding video analytics. And the idea here is really to be educational, to provide you more information, to go a little bit into details of technology and not promote any specific products or push any stuff. This is also not a webinar. This is, there are no slides. This is really a conversation about a specific topic around video analytics. So please also post questions if you have them. We're welcome. We're very happy to answer them. Last month, we talked with iPro and talked about IoT and video analytics, which is super interesting how cameras are becoming IoT sensors. So if you haven't seen this, go over to YouTube or you are on YouTube right now. Uh, after this session, check out this video on IoT uh, together with iPro. This was very interesting. And while you're on YouTube anyway, don't forget to subscribe because if you're subscribed to the channel, you will get all these nice new videos that we're releasing, which are live interviews, but as well as explainers where we talk about specific um, things, how, how things work in video analytics. Today, we have a super interesting topic. Which today, we're talking about dark AI silicon and what it is. Uh, this is super interesting, and it's a topic that is very important to video analytics, but it hasn't been talked about a lot. And I'm sure many of you haven't heard about it before, and we're going to clear all of this up today. And to talk about this, I'm super happy to have, have Nick Nee here with me. He's the Senior Director for Data Center AI and Compute Markets at AMD Silinx, and he's joining us from the West Coast. So uh, good morning, Nick. Good morning. Did you get your coffee? Yes, right here in my hand. <laughs> 7 a.m. We're uh, super ready for you. Um, cool. So uh, to start us off, uh, maybe let's get into a little bit into the topic. Um, maybe let's start off with um, what, maybe, yeah, maybe Nick, let's start off with you. Um, can you explain us a little bit what uh, AMD Stylings is doing and how does it relate to, uh, to video analytics? So basically, why, why are you here? Sure, that's a great question. And by the way, thank you so much for this opportunity. So AMD, I think many of you may probably know that brand, but most likely I was bet you don't associate AMD with AI. And that's something that's very new. You know, AMD has been very famous in PCs, personal computers, and gaming, right? Now, AI and data centers has been focused. And actually, we've been made a huge amount of progress. This podcast is a great timing because just last weekend, the world's fastest supercomputer was announced. And it's actually announced to be a frontier from Oak Ridge National Lab. And it's, you know, by far fastest, even compared to a number two, which is, you know, J Japan's supercomputer at the 1.1 exops. And that uses the AMD CPUs and GPUs. So that by itself, I think it proves, you know, whole huge amount of HPC and the machine learning can be done on the AMD GPU and CPUs. And then on the AI training front, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Microsoft Azure has announced that, that they're adopting the AMD GPUs for their mass scale training. And we're, we're not talking about the regular AI training, but mass scale with the largest possible results from Microsoft, right? So, so these are great proof points that we're now making a big step into AI with AMD CPUs and GPUs. And with recent acquisition of Xilinx, which again, one of the largest, I think, I think it's the largest actually, the semiconductor acquisition, <clears throat> it brings in the inventor of FPGA. So let me kind of pause here. Um, for those of you who don't know FPGA, it's basically like another hardware that's programmable, right? So 
unlike any ASICs, purpose-built uh, for some kind of functions like cell phone or like you know for some 5G uh, chips. This is something you buy, and then you can reprogram this into something exactly for your application. So you know it's actually a very uh, popular thing in many of the uh, kind of differentiated use cases. But bringing this into the data center with a technology called AI engine now, where suddenly you know even a big player in the AI inference in a much more efficient manner. So all all, all on, you know, AI is such an important market for AMD, and we're really doubling down. Okay. Um, that well, that's pretty exciting. We haven't, uh, as you were saying, we haven't heard so much of AMD and AI, but uh, it seems like it will become very relevant. So cool to have you here. Uh, so. The topic today is uh, dark AI silicon, and if we go before we go to dark AI silicon, um, I want to give a short overview of what dark silicon is, which is maybe a little bit more known, um, but not so much known to the general public. So, in the chip industry, the term dark silicon is very important because it basically says um, that if you if you put more and more um, smaller chips, smaller transistors on a chip, that in theory, you would think, okay, it needs to get faster and faster and faster, and uh, and the performance compute um, like increases with Moore's law. But the thing is, if you get down to a certain um, size, like eight nanometers, six nanometers, um, heat becomes a problem because um, all all of them um, emit heat, uh, all the transistors. And it turns out that even if you cram more and more transistors uh, in a, on a chip, turns out you cannot use a lot of them because of heat problems because you cannot cool this well enough. And this is what we call dark silicon, where you have the performance on a chip, but a large part of it can actually not be used at any point in time. And some people estimate that this is actually 50 to 80% of performance that you have that is not usable. So this is, this is what we call dark silicon in the chip industry, so CPUs and so on. Um, but dark AI silicon is a little bit different. So Nick, maybe can you give us an overview? What is dark AI silicon? Of course, of course, and you know you clearly know dark silicon, and in in and you kind of follow the same spirit. Um, so one big difference though is dark AI silicon unintentional by the vendor. So in many cases, you know dark silicon was something you had to make a tough choice. Like you said, they put too much silicon in there, even though the silicon is capable of doing this much work. But because of thermal, most 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 likely it's a thermal reasons, they had to turn off half of it or even more um, to sustain the pack, whatever the environments you're gonna deploy. Dark AI silicon, on the other hand, is complete opposite. Vendors wanted to unleash the entire power because the AI, as you know, is extremely demanding, right? Compared to anything that that was available before, like a traditional computer vision, people say it's easily order or orders of magnitude more compute you need to do for the same. Of course that. Return of investment is huge, right? You get more accuracy, you get more. Uh, however, your hardware does need to take on 10x, 100x more sometimes horsepower within probably reasonably same power range and thermal range. So there's a lot of innovation happening, but the problem is AI, it's not a commodity, right? So this this is a work a workload that continues to change. I'm sure you know your reapers every day. You know new innovations happening, new models are being invented. Every, every time that happens, it puts a different stress or different requirements on the hardware that runs underneath. So because of this, what we see even at the public benchmark data, for example, ML Perf, ML probably heard of, um, even the best AI GPUs out there achieve between thirty to forty percent efficiency. What that means is you go pay for say, um, you know, the leading AI GPUs, which promise you, say, a couple hundred tops. 
what you really get in your real models where you execute is most of that. And that's actually the better case. We've seen worse cases where you know you take the most modern network, um, which is really designed for this hardware, it runs at like 10%, 20% efficiency. Now that's quite a big gap, you know, because you were probably planning to unleash most of the horsepower to do your number of stream channels or whatever the you know the applications, but and you end up getting like say one third or even quarter. And that means you're gonna have to add more servers, more fix, capex, just achieve the same uh, original requirements you had. And this is a major problem. So uh, if I think about video analytics specifically, it means that uh, I might try uh, to run, let's say, uh, one camera on, on a GPU and see, okay, the camera takes up, uh, let's say, 5% of the GPU power. It's not like I can just extrapolate and say, okay, if I can run one camera at 5%, I can run then uh, 20 cameras in the whole GPU. That's not the case, right? Because at one point it just stops. That's correct. That's correct. Now, unfortunately, the solution there is you have to buy more GPUs to yeah. you know put into your server or even add more endpoint cameras or even more AI boxes. So, which is definitely not ideal kind of solution, right? You know, the better solution is of course to get the higher efficiency. And I, I do like to explain kind of why that is, right? You know, because there's actually a good reason. You know, it's it's definitely not intentional, but because you know we're chasing a moving target, right? Because AI is uh, innovating so fast, hardware takes time to develop, right? You know, any kind of CPUs, GPUs, or AI ASICs, at least right, takes two years. And you know, if you include the architectural phase, right? Because architecture had to be locked down quite quite a bit in advance. We're definitely talking about three years ago. So anything you see that was launched this year, we was architected three years ago or more. So three years ago, of course, smart people were doing their best, right? Looking at the today's uh, latest models from video analytics, from recommendation, from language model, and then try to predict what what is three years later. And you know how hard it is, you know, with something like AI. You know, today today we already see Transformer, for example, becoming a breakthrough and finding way into everything. How many people could predict it that three years ago, for example, right? So, I mean, this is a very natural thing, you know, where you do need a programmability into it to future-proof yourself. So, what's really happening is so-called feed the beast problem, right? You know, basically, you you built a very powerful engine, which is less capable of doing thousand horsepower. But if you don't have the work for the engine to do most of the time, the engine is basically idle. And that's exactly what's happening in most of the leading AI GPUs or AI ASICs uh, because the network workloads changed. And as a result, you just can't pump the data fast enough and low efficiency. So, uh, so that, but that means that even if I buy a GPU today, I find out there is the dark AI silicon. Uh, it's not as efficient as I thought it would be. Um, and in a year, there is a, I develop new architecture for my new uh, learning model, then it could get even worse, if I understand correctly, because it's even a newer architecture that the hardware doesn't support. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So, you know, this is a real problem that, you know, actually every vendor, I would say, is acknowledging, right? You know, one thing that you can see is people are speeding up the chip cycle. So, you know, just look at GPUs, right? I think two-year cycle is now becoming a norm. Like every two years, you're in a new, almost like a whole new GPU architecture. That That's really fast. And, you know, if you just go back, I would say five years or so, you know, it was more in the three years of years, you know, wasn't that, you know, 
you may get more bucks every couple of years, but it's pre-incremental. But we're now talking pre-drastic change, uh, again, driven by this change in the workloads. So that is good, right? That is good that, you know, vendors are trying to keep up by working harder, uh, getting more cycles out there. But still, we're talking every two years at the fastest. Uh, FPGA, on the other hand, you know, you can actually do this quarterly because you don't have to tape out the new chip, you reprogram. Uh, now, FPGA does have some issues as well, right? It's not perfect because, you know, there's always a catch, right? You know, you, you create enough flexibility and adaptability, then you do have to suck a bit of horsepower. So there's always a bit of trade-off, but, you know, this program, the adaptability has uh, extremely key in such a fast-changing world. Okay, so... Um, maybe that's a, that, that, that's a good point. Um, we talked a lot about the problem, so I think we understand it as a problem. So uh, what is a possible solution? So where, where could we go from here? Yeah, so, so this is a, you know, a million dollar question, right? I don't think anybody has the, you know, the one single answer to this, but I think you know, the most obvious to do is to add, add a hybrid right, of uh, the very high power or very you know, strong computing power like ASIC has together with something like FPGA, which has adaptability because in which chasing a moving target, we, I, I, I'll be lying to you if I say, I know exactly going to be hot three years from now. <laughs> of course, we try to predict it, but chances are we're going to get 90% wrong. So you have to build in some kind of future proof into your silicon, right? And, you know, let, let's say a year later, a transformer two comes up and it completely changes the, type of mod right uh, out there we still have enough future proof logic that you can change so that you know you can regain the efficiency so uh, so that's our approach and i'm sure there are a lot of other approaches as well but you know first we're adding this ai engine you know it's what we invented and has a lot of program into it into products uh, so so this way you get 100 hops on one hand but also has enough flexibility so you can adapt mm -hmm. to the next network um, uh, just uh, just opening one bracket here because not everybody might know what a transformer is. Um, transformers right now are the, is, that's the new shit uh, where um, that might replace um, existing approaches to uh, or approaches to deep learning, which is typically CNNs today, um, that seem to be um, more accurate and even faster than other things. Right now, it's very popular in la language processing, but it's moving to uh, computer right. vision as well. Yeah. We'll see in coming years where, where this is going. Just an explanation for everybody. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm actually, I'm glad, you know, you said that. Sorry, I kind of dig a little bit deep. Uh, I, actually, you know, I think it might also help say a little bit of evolution of the models, right? Because um, I, I think many remember the break forming back in 2012 uh, when, you know, University of Toronto researchers and, you know, Dr. Hinton has came up with AlexNet, um, right? And that really grew, you know, 10% um, better results over the decades stalled, you know, accuracy of, say, you know, face recognitions. It was a huge breakthrough, and that's when deep learning became even a people start talking about. But even then, when you look at 2012, the AlexNet was a pretty simple model. Um, like without going into too much details, it was really layer after layer after layer. What, what you mean is you do some kind of math, that you wait for the results, you pass into the next layer, do another math, you pass it to the layer. So pure, straightforward, almost like a pipeline, right? So implementing something like that in the hardware was, I would say, pretty straightforward. Only took one year. Um, in 2013, you know, Google came up with something called GoogleNet. Of course, today it's already considered very old, right? But that was actually very different. Um, 
first, they achieve exact same kind of functions as ASNET, uh, but better accuracy, lower memory footprints. The way they did that was to create much more complex so-called topology, right? So you now not only your feed the results from one layer to the next, you're feeding one results to multiple layers, and then you kind of keep on branching, almost like a tree. And then at, at some point, you're gonna have to converge. And this, in a way, very similar to you know if you're familiar with Google's you know map and reduce type of search, you know it's a huge you know propagation and then kind of convergence. And ju just by hearing that, it sounds like much harder to do, right? And it is much harder. So. You know, it only took a year for almost all the hardware to go obsolete and they had to come up with a new architecture. And today, uh, let's say video analytics space, right? A lot of efficient, efficient, and these kind of more complex uh, models are becoming popular. And those has another new characteristic, this so-called skip through. So passing your data to the next layer, next multiple layers, you have to buffer for, let's say, 20 layers and then use it for the 21st one. Now that is hard because you do have to kind of buffer them in the right place so that it's ready when you know you need the data and that kind of stuff really puts a stress in the in the hardware and, and it especially requires some customization in the memory hierarchy caching system to be effective. so you know whole kind of get the idea these are kind of just you know we're just scratching the surface but these are kind of changes that really pushes the hardware you know to keep changing and innovating to use the models and um, let's get back to the to the solution. Uh, you explained it already, but let me just repeat if I, if I understood correctly. Mm -hmm. So uh, you were saying, basically, uh, you think that the solution is a combination between um, uh, like hardware and the more uh, progr programmable hardware, the FPGAs, where basically you you would uh, I don't know I guess push a software update and that would be able to adapt to a new architecture of new types of models. Is is that what you were saying? Exactly, exactly. So think of, you know, you, you have a very efficient GPU like cores, right? That can do very similar tops or teraflops horsepower. Um, but around it, we'll try to build in very light layer of data flow or basically customizable areas. So, uh, so for example, today, right? Let's say today's model runs really well on GPUs or even the architecture. Um, and then let's say a year from now, you know, in your company, let's say, you know, you come, you, you've, your researchers found a very accurate, much better model. However, it, you know, it just runs say half the efficiency uh, on the, on the commodity where out there, what we can do is to kind of reprogram that customizable layer. So, so again, the hardened layer, we cannot reprogram. It's very similar to, you know, any leading AI GPUs or ASICs, but what's different for us is, you know, that customize it, the layer is a key. You can reprogram them based on the, the topology I just talked about, right? Um, so that, you know, and then we're talking literally like RTL programming, uh, you know, so the hardware engineers or using high-level synthesis can reprogram that so that now your data, instead of getting choked before getting to the engine, can now flow smoothly. So again, you regain the high efficiency by feeding every clock, uh, you know, a data into the engine. So engine has something to do. Okay. Um, well, it sounds sounds totally reasonable to me, and uh, it it also makes sense that if you buy hardware, you don't basically have to throw it away for uh, after a year when the uh, when the models get updated. Mm -hmm. There's something to do about it. What what do you see the market in general is going to do about it? Because what it just described is obviously the solution of AMD and the approach that mm -hmm. you're taking. Do you think that um, mm -hmm. others will go in the same direction, or are there other approaches where they are going? Where do you think the market is going? Absolutely, absolutely. And I actually really think everybody's heading in a similar direction with a slightly different approach, right? Um, 
there's really no, in my opinion, there's really no good, you know, solution for chasing a movie target other than having some kind of future proof. Now, how do you add the future proof? I'm sure every vendor has a different approach, right? So for us, because, you know, there's a Zanix technology that was acquired by AMD, right? So it's very natural to put uh, some proven technology like FPGAs or AI engine into it because that, you know, has already proven the things I talked about. Now, I, I do see like, for example, some AI ASICs companies, right? Or startups would try to use some kind of like a network on chip uh, or programmable it's still hardened. It kind of builds enough uh, probability between the routers. Um, so that's kind of their approach, right? And, and then, you know, the leading AI GPUs also uh, are introducing more flexibility, you know, with, uh, you know, recent announcements. Uh, they also expose some of the architectures they're putting into the next generation. And they clear, you can clearly see more programmability within the GPUs to do those. So I think, you know, this is a common problem everybody's trying to address, which really comes down to how do we regain the efficiency of the hardware as new models come in? Because regaining the efficiency means you can get the most number of video streams, you know, um, deployed your application. If you cannot, your, your num number of video streams will continue to go down, which means you're going to have to buy more servers and more, pay more electricity bills. I, I really like your summary there because the, what, what it really, why it really matters to us in video analytics, it's really about the amount of cameras you can analyze. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's what it com comes down to. So if you have a, if you have a project with a, a hundred cameras, it's a difference if you need like four yep. GPUs or if you need eight GPUs. So by making it more efficient, we can actually save money or save our customers money when they're deploying video analytics. So mm -hmm. very important topic. Um, yeah, so super cool. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Uh, otherwise, I think we have a very good overview already. Yeah, I mean, this is great. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. So I think I covered everything I wanted to talk about. So thank you so much. All right. So yeah, thank you for coming. Um, everybody else, thank you. That's it for today. Uh, thanks for watching. Please don't forget to subscribe below on YouTube so you do not miss the next one. We have the next one scheduled already. So look out for that. And also check out the other videos that were released re recently last week about how to calculate accuracy. Nick, thank you again for coming. It's been a pleasure. It's super interesting. People can reach out to you afterwards as well. So he's available on, uh, on LinkedIn. Check out the Silings website, of course, as well. And otherwise, if other people missed this, missed this session, send the recording. So thanks, everybody, for joining. That's it. And uh, see you next time. Thank you so much.